European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance. Volume 43, Issue 14. Focus Issue, Clinical Trials. By Editor-in-Chief, Professor Filippo Crea. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. Lipid Lowering Beyond Statins and Methodological Issues in Cardiovascular Clinical Trials. This focus issue on clinical trials contains the state-of-the-art review, Kidney Function Assessment and Endpoint Ascertainment in Clinical Trials by Mohammed Shazad Khan and colleagues from the Duke University School of Medicine in Durham, North Carolina, USA. Risk of mortality and adverse cardiovascular events increases more than several fold as the estimated glomerular filtration rate, or EGFR, falls below 60 milliliters per minute per 1.73 meters squared, especially at less than 45 milliliters per minute per 1.73 meters squared. Notably, the presence of chronic kidney disease at EGFR less than 60 milliliters per minute per 1.73 meters squared is an independent cardiovascular risk factor. The authors note that heterogeneity in the reporting of kidney function, kidney outcomes, and definitions for kidney endpoints in clinical trials makes it challenging to compare the results and gauge incremental benefit of interventions across trials. The authors conducted a systematic review of the ascertainment of baseline kidney variables, reporting of kidney endpoints, and definitions used to characterize these endpoints in type 2 diabetes mellitus, or T2DM, kidney, and heart failure, or HF, trials. Medline, Scopus, and clinicaltrials.gov were searched from January 2014 through to January 2021 for large, greater than 1,000 participants, T2DM, HF, and kidney disease trials and their secondary analyses. Trial publication and supplementary appendices were searched to abstract relevant data. 33 trials, 16 T2DM, 10 HF, and 7 kidney disease were included. 13 trials did not include patients with EGFR less than 30 milliliters per minute per 1.73 meters squared, and for trials that did, representation of this cohort ranged from 0.1% to 15%. Reporting of baseline kidney function and albuminuria remained low, especially in HF trials. Variability was observed in the definition of chronic kidney disease, sustained decline in EGFR, end-stage kidney disease, kidney death, and kidney composite endpoints across trials. EGFR slope was reported in less than half of the trials, with differences observed in statistical models, definition of acute or chronic slope, and follow-up duration across trials. Significant heterogeneity in reporting of kidney function and kidney outcomes in large T2DM, kidney and HF trials underscores the need for future stakeholders to draft a consensus solution. Detailed profiling of patients at baseline, accrual of more patients with advanced kidney disease, and standardization of definitions in trials may improve the ability to compare the results across trials. Hypertriglyceridemia, or HTG, is associated with increased risk of cardiovascular events. In a clinical research article entitled Apple Lipoprotein C3 Reduction in Subjects with Moderate Hypertriglyceridemia and at High Cardiovascular Risk, 
Jean-Claude Tardif and colleagues from the Montreal Heart Institute in Canada note that this clinical trial evaluated olizarsen, an N-acetylglactosamine conjugated antisense oligonucleotide, targeted to hepatic APOC3 mRNA to inhibit apolipoprotein C3, or APOC3 production, in lowering triglyceride levels in patients at high risk for or with established cardiovascular disease. A randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled dose-ranging study was conducted in 114 patients with fasting serum triglycerides 200 to 500 mg per deciliter, 2.26 to 5.65 millimoles per liter. Patients received olizarsen, 10 to 50 mg every four weeks, 15 mg every two weeks, or 10 mg every week, or saline placebo subcutaneously for 6 to 12 months. The primary endpoint was the percentage change in fasting triglyceride levels from baseline to month 6 of exposure. Treatment with olizarsen resulted in mean percentage triglyceride reductions of 23% with 10 mg every 4 weeks, 56% with 15 mg every 2 weeks, 60% with 10 mg every week, and 60% with 50 mg every four weeks, compared with an increase of 6% for the pooled placebo group. P-values ranged from 0.0042 to less than 0.0001 compared with placebo. There were no platelet count, liver, or renal function changes in any of the olizarsen groups. The most common adverse event was mild arrhythmia at the injection site. The authors conclude that olizarsen significantly reduces APOC3, triglycerides, and atherogenic lipoproteins in patients with moderate HTG and at high risk for or with established cardiovascular disease. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Robert Hegelu from the Western University in London, Ontario, Canada. Egelu notes that we are now poised to determine definitively whether APOC3 inhibition has an incremental benefit for statin-treated patients with residual mild to moderate HTG. An analogous randomized trial of whether permafibrate has a similar benefit in a similar population via a different mechanism is underway. From the perspective of a lipidologist who cares for patients with both mild to severe HTG, Egelu states that it's encouraging that we may soon have a treatment to rule over all forms of HTG and their clinical consequences. Reveal was the first randomized control trial to demonstrate that adding anacetrapib, a cholesterol ester transfer protein or CETP inhibitor therapy, to intensive statin therapy reduced the risk of major coronary events. The results of Reveal contrast with those reported from the large clinical outcome trials of other CETP inhibitor agents. The Illuminate trial was terminated because of excesses of cardiac events and death with torcetropib, which have been attributed to various off-target drug effects on blood pressure. The DAL outcomes and Accelerate trials with dalcetropib and evacetropib respectively were both stopped early after approximately two years of treatment because of perceived lack of efficacy. In a clinical research article entitled Long-Term Safety and Efficacy of Anacetropib in Patients with Atherosclerotic Cardiovascular Disease, 
the HBS3 stroke Timmy 55 Reveal Collaborative Group Writing Committee, reports results from the extended follow-up of the Reveal trial beyond the scheduled study treatment period. A total of 30,449 adults with prior atherosclerotic vascular disease were randomly allocated to anisotropib 100 mg daily or matching placebo, in addition to open-label atorvastatin therapy. After stopping the randomly allocated treatment, 26,129 survivors entered a post-trial follow-up period, blind to their original treatment allocation. The primary outcome was first post-randomization major coronary event, i.e. coronary death, myocardial infarction or MI, or coronary revascularization, during the in-trial and post-trial treatment period with analysis by intention to treat. Allocation to anisotropib conferred a 9%, P equaling 0.004, proportional reduction in the incidence of major coronary events during the study treatment period, median 4.1 years. During extended follow-up, median 2.2 years, there was a further 20%, P being less than 0.001, reduction. Overall, there was a 12%, P being less than 0.001, proportional reduction in major coronary events during the overall follow-up period, median 6.3 years, corresponding to a 1.8% absolute reduction. There was no significant non-vascular mortality, site-specific cancer, or other serious adverse events. The authors conclude that the beneficial effects of anisotropib on major coronary events increased with longer follow-up and no adverse effects emerged on non-vascular mortality or morbidity. These findings illustrate the importance of sufficiently long treatment and follow-up duration in randomized trials of lipid-modifying agents to assess their full benefits and potential harms. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Ulrich Laufs from the Universitätsklinikum Leipzig and Timotheus Speer from the Saarlander University in Germany. The authors point out that important strengths of the extended follow-up period of reveal include the large number of randomized participants and the 99% completion rate of the extended observation period that demonstrate the excellent quality of the study. The data clearly show that the absolute reduction in major coronary events in the anisotropib group was approximately 50% larger at six years than it had been at the end of the four-year treatment period. The data are very informative for potential future developments of drugs that modify CETP production or function and that may exert significantly greater reductions of ApoB-containing lipoproteins, the mechanism that appears to drive risk reduction. In addition, the study provides compelling evidence that the beneficial effects of LDL cholesterol stroke non-HDL cholesterol lowering on cardiovascular outcomes increase with every year of treatment and that sufficient follow-up is mandatory to avoid underestimating treatment effects. This issue also contains a viewpoint article entitled Why are mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists the Cinderella in evidence-based treatment of myocardial infarction complicated with heart failure? Lessons from Paradise MI by Bertram Pitt and colleagues from the University of Michigan School of Medicine in Ann Arbor, Michigan, USA. Paradise MI compared sacubitril stroke valsartin with ramipril in the post-MI setting 
within seven days, in patients with left ventricular ejection fraction, or LVEF, of less than or equal to 40% and or pulmonary congestion, plus any risk enhancer factor among age greater than or equal to 70 years, EGFR less than 60 milliliters per minute per 1.73 meters squared, diabetes mellitus, history of prior MI, atrial fibrillation, LVEF less than 30%, Philip class greater than or equal to 3, or MI without reperfusion. The results showed that while sacubitral valsartan was safe and well tolerated, it was not superior to remipril in post-MI patients with a reduced LVEF and or evidence of HF. A striking observation the authors note in this viewpoint is that only 42% of patients were treated with a mineralocorticoid receptor antagonist, or MRA, in background therapy in Paradise MI, compared with 85% receiving a beta blocker, 78% with prior angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitor, or ASI, stroke angiotensin receptor blocker, or ARB, treatment, and 95% receiving estatin. The authors wonder why MRAs are substantially underutilized in the Paradise MI trial, despite the well-documented evidence, for instance the Ephesus trial, that MRAs improve outcomes in this setting on top of optimal background therapy including beta blockers and ACE-I stroke ARBs. The authors also note that the striking MRA underuse seen in the Paradise MI trial reflects a general MRA underutilization and poor guideline adherence in this population. They conclude that the introduction of new potassium-lowering agents, such as patyrimer and sodium zirconium cyclosilicate, held the promise that they would increase the use of MRAs in patients at the risk of hyperkalemia and therefore reduce morbidity and mortality by higher use of MRAs. Finally, the recent introduction of non-steroidal MRAs, such as phenarinone, could potentially increase the use of MRAs in post-MI patients, providing that adequately powered trials are performed in this population. In another Viewpoint article entitled Patient Partnership in Cardiovascular Clinical Trials by Zanid and colleagues from the University Hospital of Nancy in France point out that patients are ultimately the end-users of medical therapies and need to be actively integrated as contributors and decision-makers in the process of product development throughout product life cycles. This is increasingly being recognized by patients, investigators, regulators, payers, sponsors, and medical journals. However, cardiovascular research remains behind other fields in terms of extent of patient involvement and awareness of clinical trials in cardiovascular research. True patient partnership in cardiovascular therapeutic development may permit more rapid recognition of unmet needs, ensure alignment of product development priorities with patient priorities, improve efficacy of trials, e.g. recruitment, and ensure outcomes of value to patients are being measured in trials, e.g. quality of life. This paper reviews ongoing initiatives and remaining opportunities to accomplish patient involvement in cardiovascular clinical research. The editors hope that the listeners of this issue of the European Heart Journal will find it of interest.